welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org. There would be no love going on in heaven. There would be no perfect love. There would be no perfect unity. There would not be fellowship in heaven. But the fact that there are three means there has always been relationship. There's always been love. There's always been uh, communion in the Godhead. And, uh, and perfectly so. And so, um, you see, God couldn't love if he had no one to love. That's the point that I want to make, really. The one point about the Trinity is God could not love if he'd no one to love. And he couldn't be a father if he didn't have a child. But he has a son, so he's a father. And the foundational truth about God is his fatherhood. I want to read you um, a little quote from when I was a, a new Christian. I used to read this guy. It was always a bit, I always found it a little bit dry, but it was because it was just theology and it was very, very, very sound. And I always thought of J.I. Packer. You heard of him? Anybody? James Packer. I always thought of him as a great theologian, you know, really educates your mind and brings truth and spells it out. Uh, but I never thought of him as one who would really engage with the experience of knowing God. Although, of course, when he writes about it, that is what he says. Anyway, he says this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, It means he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. If we don't know the foundation of God being Father, we're missing a big, the heart really, of what Christianity is. And uh, I heard someone say, I've heard um, (laughs) Simon Holly say this, he sometimes gets accused of uh, talking about the Father too much. You need to not always be focusing on the Father. And his answer is, How can you focus on the Father too much? It's the very foundation of all that we believe. So, um, and and Jesus said this. I'd never noticed it before. You loved me when he's praying to the Father. You loved me before the creation of the world. There's an eternal God and an eternal Son and eternal Spirit. And one reason why there had to be a really big fight, not physically, but theologically in the history of Christianity, was that over a man called Arius in the third century, who argued that the Son hadn't eternally been, that he was created, and that there was God, the Father, if you like, but the Son was, was, came later. And if you believe that, then the trouble is... We don't have equality in the Godhead. There's the Father, but the Son's a created being. And the, and the creed from Nicene, the Nicene Creed, fought over this, battled over this, sat for months in debate and came out clearly that Arius was a heresy, 
that if you say Jesus isn't eternal, then you've destroyed the whole meaning of the Trinity. Does that make any sense? I know I'm talking, I was told this was to be for kids <laughs> last week. And I thought, I've already worked, done it. I've already prepared. I've been thinking about this all month. <laughs> I'm sorry, kids. I know, it's, it's, I mean, adults as well. How are you doing? That's... <laughs> Yeah, well, God, God, God is an eternal being, and He's love. Okay, and uh, now one way of think, helping you understand that: think of uh, a, an example where God isn't three in perfect love, perfect unity, expressing communion relationship, but He's just a solo God. He's a single God. For example, in Islam, Allah is a single God. So. He's been eternal, that's what Islam teaches, but he's on his own. So how can God, who is one, know what love is? Unless he creates and loves what he creates, but then he's dependent on his creation, which denies what the Quran teaches about Allah, which is that he depends on nothing. He's completely self-sufficient. So I'm just giving you some things to think about. It's so important. I mean, it is an amazing truth that God has always existed, has always been in fellowship, loves perfectly. (laughs) And then you contrast to, you know, this is what it says in the Quran. Say not Trinity, desist. It will be better for you, for God is one God. Glory be to him, far exalted is he above having a son. That's what the Quran says. So you have an amazing battle of huge significance over what kind of God you worship. That's why some of the Christians in the Middle East, although Allah is the name for God, they don't want to call the God they worship Allah because he comes as a single person God. And they worship a tri-person God, a trinity. And that is so important if you're to understand what love is. So, anyway, that's... um, my little Middle Eastern bit, that's all you're going to get. Um, <laughs> uh, so the question I want to ask is, if the God who created the universe and created all things and created us, you have that little conversation in heaven, you know, you kind of get this talk about pulling back veils just to get a peep. And we just get a little peep. You know, the spirit is hovering over the water before any creation has taken place. And then we get this conversation, let us make man in our own image. Male and female, he made them. He created them. And, um, you know, when God says to his son, "Let's, let's make them in our image, it must mean to love. Because God is love. It must mean that whatever it means, we're made in his image, male and female, no gender confusion there. Uh, but, 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 sorry, couldn't resist that. Um, uh, male and female, he made them. And he made them to love, to love God, to love one another. Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment of all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second command is love your neighbor as yourself. There's love at the very heart of what it is to know God as Father, 
Son and Holy Spirit. And we know him as all three perfectly. And uh, it's a continuing revelation. And I believe the purpose of this today is to help you engage uh, in a deeper way in fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he can help you do that. Um, through, and we'll, we will land there at the end of this chat. Um, okay. Now, how come a perfect creation that is beautiful and still is beautiful, that reflects the glory of God and still does, has been marred so that we have hatred and we have evil and we have these dark things that Neil just prayed about and shared, encouraged us to trust God in the midst of. How, how, how did that happen? And I think, it, I know some people just think the Adam and Eve story is an allegory and others believe it's real. Either way, the point is well made. That something happened. I mean, how can an apple be that attractive that it, it causes you to turn away from God and do the one thing he told you not to do. I mean, you're in this perfect place and there's only one rule. Don't eat that apple. You made reference to it last week, David. You know, don't eat that one from that tree of good and evil. The knowledge of the truth of good and evil. Don't, don't eat that one. Uh, and, and there's something about the apple that is so attractive that you go and eat it. What is that? That's strange, isn't it? I mean, apples are nice, but I didn't think they were that nice. <laughs> Something had happened, you see. And, and, and what we tend to do, and uh, oh, it's just, this is where religion becomes a pain in the butt, really, because, you know, we, we think, ah, oh, it's really about rule-keeping. That's what religion is. It's really about rule-keeping. Don't do the thing you're told not to do. And, of course... That's good not to do the thing you're told not to do. But that isn't the reason why Eve and Adam, both of them, ate that apple. It's not the reason. Because behavior is only the outward manifestation of who we are. There's always something going on on the inside. There's attitudes, there's heart attitudes. There's something going on on the inside that shapes our outward behavior. So you can be outwardly doing fine but Jesus could call you a whitewashed tomb just a grave because you're doing the right thing but you're missing you're missing the heart of it altogether and um, um, and so I just want to unpack that a little bit because it really helps us I think helps me um you see, there are three things about this apple that deceived Eve. One was it was good for food. Okay, so it's fairly, that's fairly fundamental. We all have appetite. Yeah, I like to eat too. Good for food, all right, but it's not going to make me eat it. But also, it's pleasing to the eye. Oh, there's something that is very winsome about this. Something that is quite desirous about this. Something attractive that's pulling me like a magnet pulls. I'm fine. Something's pulling me here. And then, and it gains understanding 
and wisdom. Ah, no, that would make you quite powerful. That would give you huge significance. And there you have it, the third one. What does it say? And desirable for gaining wisdom. And, um, and we could say, well, what <coughs> happened? What happened was this. She turned her heart from loving God to loving something else. And that is the issue called original sin. That's what it is. When the heart turns from a love for God and is deceived, trapped, captured. James says, you know, you've got these desires. And if you, they rise up and you feed them and you entertain them and you cultivate them, they'll become full-blown. And ultimately, that'll lead to death. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're, the, can we have the next slide, perhaps? Just look at this. Paul, Paul writing about the power, what, what is a sinner? What is this power of sin that's at work in people? He said, well, people have become uh, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. That is the heart issue that happened for Eve, has been happening for Adam, has happened for us down through time. Yeah? Yeah, it's just stark. It's a heart issue. What turned her heart? Well, those things. But her heart turned. And it's sad. Martin Luther, great theologian, 500 years ago, he defined a sinner like this. He said, it's the person who's curved in on themselves. That's what sin is. It curves us in. Everything is about us. Everything. And, and you become bent. Bent towards the thing that you're now worshipping. Rather than standing. Being able to worship the living God. With an open heart. It's a heart issue. So here's another historical character. In the 5th century. Uh, Pelagari, Pelagarius. Sorry. He came to Rome. Anyway, you probably haven't, I hadn't heard of him either. But anyway, I'd heard of it, this other guy I'll mention in a minute though. But anyway, he was a brim and fat, you know, one of those kind of go for it preachers that really laid into the people. He came to Rome and it's very immoral. And he calls out the Christians and said, come on, you must behave better. Get out of this and come into that. You know, and he was a fire and brimstone preacher. And God, did he bring a challenge, you know. And it all sounds good on the surface. You know, come on, you're living like this. You, you need to come back. Uh, uh, but the other guy who was around at the time was a man called Augustine, who you may have heard of, 5th century. Um, and he had a brain the size of a planet. So he began to look into what Pelagarius was saying. And he realized that this man, for all his stirring preaching, didn't understand God at all. Didn't know him. Didn't, didn't know what God was like. He, he was calling for behavior, not heart change. <coughs> And uh, what Augustine saw was that it was, God wasn't, it wasn't about uh, obedience on the outside. We were created to know and love God. That was his central thing. That's what we were created for, to know God and to love God and to find all our rest in him and all our, our fulfillment in our relationship with him. And so, um, and I'm glad to say Augustine's theology won out. Because it's about the heart. And behavior will follow the heart. Jesus taught that, didn't he? You know, out of the heart, things come. So, um, so here we have a story of a God who is love, who loves 
his creation, who loves his creatures with uh, the deepest love that is possible, who reject him by rebelling. They just reject him. And uh, how did he respond? Well, he, we see the extreme depths of what it means to say God is love in his response to this rejection that started with Adam and Eve and we've inherited down through, as, as, you know, it's the consequence. There's an inherited thing called original sin. So how did he respond? If we could have the next, this scripture that says God is love, 1 John 4, 8. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God. Yeah. (laughs) That, that, That he loved us. Hallelujah. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There's love on display on the cross. That is love. That those who spawned, those who've rejected, those who've rebelled find there's one there's a God who is love, who will demonstrate that love that while we were still sinners, he'll die for us. We see on the cross the expression of the love of the Father. Why did he do it? Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And uh, and so we have this picture of, um, as it says, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There, You see, it doesn't matter how grievous you may be about what you have or haven't done or what your behavior is. There's nothing you can do about it. That's the nature of original sin. You're fallen. I'm fallen. I'm, unless God rescues, I'm finished. There's no way. I cannot be the atonement. I cannot create a context for atoning sacrifice. Only God himself can. And uh, see, God delights to give himself. Even on the cross, Jesus could have turned away. He says, I call angels. He, didn't, he wasn't forced to go. He went of his own free will. It was the love of God in action. And, um, and it goes even further than that because, so, okay, let's just accept that. Atoning sacrifice for sin, hallelujah. I'm washed clean forever. You know, forgiveness of sins, Dave was talking about it. it I think we're, we take it very glibly, almost. It's our catchphrase as a Christian. Oh, well, you know, Chris died, Christ died to forgive us our sins. Do you really know what that means? <laughs> I mean, do you really appreciate? If you lived in, uh, I said I mentioned my Islamic, well, I've got another Islamic reference point here. If you lived in a Muslim nation, you would appreciate more. What it, when we say Christ has forgiven us all our sins, past, present, future, done, deal, it's all done. You would appreciate the assurance that that gives you for eternity, actually. This is, this is the deal, isn't it? This is an eternal God who lives for eternity and has done and will do. And uh, there's no assurance of salvation for a Muslim doesn't matter how, you see, they live on the behavior level. There's, this, there's the Quran, and it gives you lots of rules. 
But he doesn't give you God. He's a single person God. And he's got the Quran and he's given, he's given you this book. He's given you a thing. Whereas what the Father has done, he's given you the word. He's given you his son. He's given you someone you can know. It's so, so different. It's completely different. And, um, and, and so if you're a Muslim, it doesn't matter if you do your five prayers a day and you do your things and you give your money one and a half percent. It's a bit on the mean side compared to the Christian. Or is it two and a half? It might be two and a half percent actually. Two and a half percent. Uh, you go to Mecca, blah, 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 blah. Help the poor a bit. Good. All good things. But you don't know if you're saved. Because there is no atoning sacrifice for sin that you believe in. Desist from believing in a son. <laughs> That's what the Quran says. Stop it. Wow. There's a battle line, isn't there? This is where, it fight, this is where the fight is. Jesus Muhammad says, pray for me. When he's dying, he's saying, pray for me. Because he doesn't know if he's going to receive mercy at the throne of God or not. So you live all your life unassured of what is to come. So when we talk maybe even freely and, and, and rightly about the forgiveness of sins, we need to appreciate what that means. You're forever forgiven. You're forever a son. You're forever a child of God. He doesn't, he doesn't cut his kids off. However far they go, once that connection has been made, once that step, once that heart commitment to one that is more than loving this, that or the other, but loving the God who's given his son for me and has wanted to restore me into loving relationship, to know him and to love him. Once I've connected there, <laughs> well, wonderful. I can have my heart then, Lord. You can have my heart. I want, you've won my heart. That's what you've won. You've given yourself so totally. It's won me. It's won me. These things, I know the pool. But hey, I've, there's a greater treasure. It's a greater treasure. And, we, and we, we're these children. And we. So let's celebrate the forgiveness of sins. But there is a higher there's an even higher thing, a greater thing, and that is that God wants that love that he has for us to be known. He wants us to know it. It says in Romans 5.5 5, that God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. There is testimony to that. In, uh, in, in, or Take John 17. I love this one. Um, at the end of his prayer to the Father, his long prayer in John 17, he ends like this in the last, the last verse of that prayer. He prays, Father, may the love you have for me be in them. <laughs> Grapple with that for a few days. Grapple with it. You want it. Ask for it. It's true. It's, it's the profession of God for you. God loves his children. He pours his love into our heart by the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm praying this. Father, I'm praying that the love you have for me may be in them. And he says, and I want to be in them too. So it's kind of the Trinity coming to us, isn't it? The Spirit pouring it in. The Father, the Son. I mean, we have the Trinity. 
God is love. So we need a new heart. We need our hearts to be one. And, and even when we mean one, if we still had the old heart, it wouldn't be enough, actually. We need a new heart. We need to be born again of the Spirit who gives us a new heart. Ezekiel could promise, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. There's a promise of a new heart. And so when we're encouraged to say, I give you my heart, O Lord, it's quite a serious proposition. It's not just a glib use of words. It's a call from God. Say, give me your heart. And my response is, I give you my heart, O Lord. You say, but what does that mean? Well, I don't know what it means. What are, what are you giving? I'm, I'm, I'm just giving what I've got, which is, I want to give you my heart. When we went to Bethel, and we only went for the one meeting, because we were going down the west coast of America, and we thought we can't miss going to Bethel and that church, because we've received a lot from it. And we went to the evening meeting, and you know, you get underway. Not like any worship service in terms of song selection or the way you kind of build it. We'll have a few praise songs and then we'll, we'll enter into a bit more intimacy and a bit of worship. You know, that kind of progression that you get in a worship time. The first song comes up and it goes on and it goes on. And it, all it is is a call to give your heart to God. And I thought, oh man, I'm not finding... I'm, I'm there with me antennae up, you know, what's going on here? I don't want any manipulation. I'm evaluating this. I'm finding out what, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the outsider looking in because I've never been before. And you know what it's like when you're in your new place and you don't want to get caught up in, in hype and you don't want to get caught up in someone else's ego or any of that stuff. And as this song goes on, I'm just beginning to feel, oh man, I, uh, I think I've got a decision to make. If I'm going to enter into this meeting. Because these leaders, these worship leaders, they just keep saying, give him your heart. Come on, enter in now. And it's challenging. They're not just saying, let's praise. They're saying, are you going to give him your heart in this meeting, here and now? And I had a decision to make. It was very real to me. Because it meant I had to stop defending uh, and give back to God. And I made a decision, that the end, it's always the end of that song, I thought, right, well, why am I fighting this anyway? But there is some instinctive resistance to giving ourselves undividedly to God. The, you know, it says the natural man's mind is hostile to God in Romans 8. If, you, if you're in, you know, if we've strayed and our hearts turned away and we've, we've curved in on ourselves and it's all about us, you know, life's an eternal selfie, all about me, then we just have to turn and say, oh, I give you my heart, oh Lord. And I did that and everything changed. I just began to feel, experience the atmosphere in that room, the presence of God. Not that that is the issue per se. The issue was giving my heart. And God says he'll pour his love into our heart. By the Holy Spirit. He loves it. He's, 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 his nose is turned to that kind of prayer. It's a prayer. I give you my heart. It's, it's a devotional prayer, isn't it? it? That's what prayer is. It's connecting with the 
with, with, with the Father and the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is so in our midst to help us. He'll give us a new heart. And if you've believed in Jesus, forgive you your sins. He has given you a new heart. But our heart can drift. And we can say, here it is again, Lord. Here it is. Right now I need to know your love pouring into my heart by the Holy Spirit. When I go back many years, but I knew, I knew that God had come to me when I said the sinner's prayer many, many years ago, because immediately my heart changed, began to feel love, loved, and it began to feel love for others in a way I'd never known before. And it was the beginning. And that was my first tangible experience. I knew, and I've been born again. I've been given a new heart. I've been born again of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Flesh counts for nothing. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how old you are. Kids in this room can give their heart to Jesus today and have just as valid an experience as anybody else. God, please, don't let us be ageist towards children or old people, for that matter. Uh, Am I connecting? Are we kind of picking up God is love? And he's demonstrated it. And he's eternally... He's just wonderful. He's wonderful. So I feel... um, Stevie, can you come up? I mean, I don't know if... uh, Where's Ali? I just felt I should ask you. I don't know why. In the worship time. Sorry about this, Ali. But I just felt I should ask Steve. I I want you to play, but I should ask Steve just to uh, pick a song and uh, I'll just sing out in the spirit or whatever you feel. um, Because... Lord, we let me just lead you. You can just have a think while I pray. <laughs> um, can I lead you in a prayer? Can I urge you, like that worship leader did in Bethel? Can you just say, give, I give you my heart, oh Lord. And you say, well, I don't know if I mean it. It doesn't matter. Do your best. I give you my heart. That's the one thing you can give him. You can't give him your good behavior. That won't win the day. You can give him your heart. And your behavior will follow your heart. So Father we thank you. You're not like that single person God. Who is alone. You are a trinity. Who was never alone. Who always loved your son Father. In the spirit. And and Jesus, you always love the Father. And the Spirit strengthened those bonds. And uh, Lord, this is the God we worship. We have been saved into an incredible salvation. This is eternal life, John 17, 3. It's to know the Father. And the Father himself loves you. Says, <laughs> this is this is our this is reality, Lord. This is we may feel marginalised, but hey, we've got a big story to tell. Mm-hmm. We've got a wonderful story to tell, 
And Lord, uh, the gospel is advancing all over the world. This message of a father's love expressed through a son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we, we, we just acknowledge, Lord, our hearts have gone astray. Our hearts were astray. We caught in original sin. <laughs> it was powerful grip. We couldn't break free. We tried sometimes. But what's the point? I don't know if you've heard that um, Russell Brand interviewing Alistair McGrath on what's the point of God. It's fascinating. It's an insight into modern secular thinking. And I I think he handles himself really well, actually. Both of them do. Um, But, uh, hey, Lord, there's a point in God, and this is it. It's to be known. And it's to know you. And Lord, we want to say we give you our hearts. Lord, this, this, this time we give you our hearts, Lord. We open up to you. We, we don't want to disqualify our offering by thinking we're unworthy. And we don't want to limit our offering by being so conscious of our inadequacies. We want to freely say we are yours, O Lord, and you are ours for eternity. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to pour the love of God into our hearts. According to Romans 5, 5, (laughs) that's what you do. You're an active agent of the Trinity here on earth, bringing revelation of Jesus and pouring love into our hearts. So here we are, Lord. We're just so grateful. So wonderful. It's such a wonderful, wonderful gospel. It's amazing. Refresh it to us again, we pray.